And welcome back to Review and Preview, everybody. I'm your host for today's little segment. We're going to have about 30, 40 minutes of talk here on Review and Preview. I'm your host, Kyle Russo. What we're going to be talking about, we're going to be talking about some Yankees and we're going to be talking about some NBA basketball. Um, Make sure to go check out on our page. Last night's show, we had three hours of beautiful content in regards to the new start to the NFL season 2020. Make sure to go check out Gabe Flayton's new show as well as we try to expand our brand of review and preview. It's called the North Pole. It premiered this past Tuesday. It'll be on every single Tuesday for the rest of the NFL season discussing the NFC North, hence the name of the North Pole. Talking about the Green Bay Packers, the Minnesota Vikings, the Detroit Lions, and the Chicago Bears. But now, back to tonight, why am I on? Well, I'm going to be talking about some Yankees and some basketball. Earlier today, uh, also a must-check out, James Montefusco, a co-host of Review and Preview, did a little show about, gave a little hockey review, uh, gave some New York Mets review as last night was a sole focus on football, but made sure that we wanted to include all the rest of the sports that happened this week as we are in the playoffs for hockey and the NBA, as well as we go through this MLB season in the middle of that as well. But now focusing on track, what I'm here to talk about, let's start it off with Block A, the New York Yankees. So the New York Yankees are right now the third seed, I believe, in the AL East. They are a terrible team. They are a terrible team. There's no other words to describe the types of performances in which they're putting together right now because it's disgusting. It's despicable. They now sit with a record of 22 and 21, third in the AL behind Toronto and behind Tampa, obviously leading the AL East. They are barely now with an expanded playoffs, having eight teams from obviously the American League and the National League. The Yankees now sit in that eighth spot, but barely as other teams come crawling up to that spot from the ninth and tenth spot in the AL. But the Yankees right now, they're a terrible team. They're a terrible team. They had so much high hopes and aspirations of doing phenomenal this season. You know, I sat here on this show and said that the Yankees were potentially going to be 50 and 10. And realistically, it didn't look like that far of a stretch. The first couple weeks of the season, the Yankees started off the season 7-1. and one. They were on that path, nice and smooth. Started playing teams like Tampa, couldn't get a win. Started losing the stupid games against Baltimore, in which those are must-win games. In-division rival, doesn't have a lot of talent on that team. Need to win those types of games. Can't afford to lose them. Then fast forward a little bit, and the injury bug finally hits. Didn't take very long, but it happened. First, it was Giancarlo Stanton. He is yet to come back. Then it was Aaron Judge. He is yet to come back. Then you lose guys like Tommy Canley for the entirety of the season. You lose Glaber Torres. He's made one of his first return starts over the last weekend since that point in time, missing about 20-something games or so. Then you lose DJ LeMayhew, who, at least in my opinion, should have been a AL MVP finalist last year, was not, was the fourth guy on that ballot. Um as opposed to being in that top three. But definitely should have been there. Not having Chapman for the beginning of the season. Losing Zach Britton for a little bit. Losing Chad Green for a little bit. 
not having Masahiro Tanaka for a while. The injury bug bit, and it hurt. And it hurt this team tremendously. That's why they now sit third in the AL with a 22-21 and 21 record. They're a terrible team. And what do we want to blame this on? Who can we as Yankee fans, viewers of baseball, who do we blame this on? Is it Aaron Boone? Is it his coaching methods, his managing methods? You know, he's had some questionable moves in the bullpen in which the Yankees have lost games solely because of that, in which they've competed even without these star names that I just listed, and they've managed to blow it due to the bullpen. That's on Aaron Boone. Is it Brian Cashman? A team that was absolutely depleted due to injuries. In a short season, only 60 games, obviously. Yes, an expanded playoff, which means that you have better high hopes of making the playoffs. And obviously the Yankees, um, even with the roster in which they do have, is still good enough to be one of those eight teams, eight finalists. But why I say Brian Cashman, you know, the trade deadline just passed. Knowing the amount of injuries in which they had, should he have acquired somebody? Should they have made a move? You know, that's a question to be asked. You know, once the season is final, I guess maybe we'll have that answer. Or is it just the roster in general? Now, what I mean by that is some of these Yankee stars have remained. And some guys haven't faltered even a little bit. Luke Voigt has been absolutely phenomenal, leading the team in home runs, leading the team in RBIs. He has not missed a step. In fact, he's been the only constant with this team. But guys like Gary Sanchez were batting around 130. Guys like Brett Gardner batting around 175. Guys like Aaron Hicks batting in the low 220s, if that, at this point in time. Mike Talkman's been okay. Mike Ford has been okay. Gio Urshela, another name I forgot to put on that list, one of their most consistent batters, he's hurt as well now with bone spurs. And his his timetable of return is unknown as well. What is it with this team? What is it with this team? Because from every which angle, nothing seems to be going right. Nothing seems to be going right, but I could sit here and talk about that for the next 45 hours, but I won't hold you to that because my brain will wind up exploding, just built out of the frustration in which this team has caused. Because even with this lineup in which they have, it's still a solid ball club, but they're just not clicking. Not one aspect of their game is clicking. Garrett Cole. Started off the season beautifully. Four straight wins. He finally got a loss. Then he got another. And then he got another. And almost all of those losses were because of his performance, his individual performance. The bats were there in some of those games. And he just gave up too many runs for them to come back. 
And I can't blame him because the Yankees rotation is abysmal right now. We're looking at a weekend, actually not even a weekend, this past Tuesday. The Toronto Blue Jays faced off against the Yankees, playing up in Buffalo. That's where Toronto's playing right now. J.A. Happ, of all guys in this pitching rotation, pitches an absolutely incredible game. 6.1 innings pitched, four hits given up, two runs given up in this game, two walks, and 10 strikeouts over the course of throwing 113 pitches by J.A. Happ. The Yankees come away with the L. Hap gets the loss. They lose 2-1. to one. Can't put runs up on the board. They just can't do it. They just can't do it. And I don't know who to blame. I don't know who to blame. Because you look at a season last season in which the Yankees suffered the same exact thing, meaning injuries. Had over 30 people. 30 people. Players. 30 players. On IL over the course of 162 games. 30, the most in the major leagues. Yet somehow they hit 307 home runs. Yet somehow they finished with over a 100 win season. Now, maybe that's because they have a bigger time span in which to recuperate. Maybe that's the case scenario in which it's not here. Knowing that we're already two thirds of the way through the 60 game season with less than 20 games left, and this Yankees team now sits eighth in the AL and is suffering every moment, every moment. Because not at one time over the course month and a half, over the last month and a half, have the Yankees looked like that ball club, like most predicted, would be in the World Series this year. Granted, forget about COVID, forget about the 60-game season, forget about the expanded playoffs. Out of the AL, most, I'd say 9 out of 10 people, had the New York Yankees not only making it to the World Series, but some even being crowned champion. This is not a championship ball club right now. It's very disappointing to say. It's very sad to say, but it's the truth. They don't look like that team. And with only 20 games left, even if they do manage to pull a 180, their seeding can cost them dearly. Right now, they'd have to face a team in Tampa, who they've only beaten, I believe, once or twice out of the 10 times in which they faced each other, which is horrible. Which is horrible. Monday's game against the Blue Jays. I know I discussed Tuesday's game. I'm going a little bit out of order, but let's... Reverse back to Monday's game. And this is what I'm talking about. The Toronto Blue Jays win this game 12-7. to The Yankees gave up 10 runs. 10 runs. Which was the most, I believe, Tom Scavetta had uh, sent me this on Instagram. was the first time since 1932 in which the Yankees had given up that many runs. Almost 100 years. Almost 100 years. Not a record in which you want to break or not one that you want to resurface, no doubt in my mind. And the worst part about this 10 runs in the sixth inning was these 10 runs were given up by probably at this point in time the Yankees' two best bullpen guys, consistent bullpen guys in 
Those names are Chad Green giving up four runs and Adam Ottavino giving up six. Voight, Hicks, and Andujar each had a home run. Jansen, the catcher for Toronto, had four RBIs. I believe he had a grand slam in this game. They're just not clicking. They're just not clicking. But last night, a little bit of a bright spot. After losing five straight games, the Yankees finally put a W in the win column. Win 7-2. The Yankees only allowed six hits to the Blue Jays all game. Ross Stripling takes the L for the Blue Jays. Debbie Garcia gets his first win of his career. Seven innings pitched, five hits allowed, two runs allowed, six strikeouts. LeMahieu and Torres each hit a home run, and Glaber Torres finished off with four RBIs. Debbie Garcia, I know we talked about him last week when he had his first career start. He's a good pitcher. He's a good pitcher. Maybe he could put some fire back into this Yankees dugout. Maybe he could put some fire back into this Yankees team, this organization, get them back on a winning track. But a guy that's going to be pitching every four games is not going to be that guy that's going to be your savior. You need the bats to step up. You need Talkman to step up. You need Mike Ford to step up. Aaron Hicks to step up. Gary Sanchez, of all, needs to step up. Brett Gardner, the longest tenured Yankee at this point in time. Been one of the greatest Yankees, as in my opinion, that I've ever seen in my lifetime. Based on consistency and obviously defensive-wise in the outfield. Hasn't really had that much of an opportunity due to the surplus, a surplus of people in which they have. But he's been terrible this year. Those guys need to step up. Because while guys like Stanton are out, guys like Judge are out with no timetable on when they will return, these other guys have to step up because they're more than capable of doing it. We've seen it last year. We've seen it in years prior. Last year, Gary Sanchez, maybe not a batting average that's so spectacular, but finishes off with 35 home runs. Brett Gardner last year, excellent batting average, finished off with the most home runs in a season in his entire career. Mike Talkman, Mike Ford, those guys came up last year, were absolutely phenomenal. Labor Torres had a slow start to the season. He got injured. He's coming back. He needs to step up tremendously for this team right now. The Yankees game tonight got canceled due to weather, and they'll play a doubleheader tomorrow, which has also been killing them tremendously. As far as I'm concerned, they played about six doubleheaders, if not seven doubleheaders. That's a total of 14 games. Meanwhile, they've only played about 40. That takes a toll on a team. No rest. That takes a toll on a team. When you start a game at 1, finish it at 3-something, and then start back up again at 4. Or start a game at 4, finish it up around 6.30, and start another game at 7. That takes a toll on a team. That takes a toll on a team. And we'll see what happens with this ball club. And my hopes are still high. Am I dreaming World Series anymore? I can't say that I am, sadly. But this team, the dark horse in which they have now become because of the seating in which they probably will be placed at, can potentially cause some noise in the playoffs. But it might also hurt them significantly. Only time will tell. But that's enough for baseball talk with the New York Yankees. 
We're going to move on to the second block in which I got for all of you is the NBA playoffs. Now, the NBA playoffs has been ecstatic, to say the least. There's been some excellent games, some excellent up-and-rising players. And what team, what, what matchup better to start off with? We're going to start off with the West than the number one L.A. Lakers versus the number four Houston Rockets. Right now, the L.A. Lakers lead this series 2-1. to one. I believe they're actually playing right now. I'll give you a score update for that game. The Lakers are leading. Wow. In a game four scenario right now in progress, the L.A. Lakers are winning in the third quarter with about five minutes left, 76 to 56 points. So the Lakers just absolutely dominating by 20-plus points. Anthony Davis with 21 points uh, and 11 rebounds. LeBron James already has a double-double himself with 10 points, 11, 11 assists, 11 rebounds, excuse me, and six assists in this game. James Harden not shooting the ball efficiently with only 10 points in this game. Rockets are really struggling. Uh, don't have a lot of bench pieces efficiently to score for them. Uh, maybe besides an Austin Rivers who hasn't really um, shown that offensive aspect of his game yet. Jeff Green has came up a little bit uh, as that offensive option, potentially that six man for the Rockets in the series. Daniel House, um, all the news around him, he's potentially suspended. He, I don't believe he's playing in this game. He's suspended for potentially the rest of this playoff series, which will hurt them tremendously as he has been one of their young and up-and-coming players to help them off the bench offensively and defensively. So that will hurt tremendously. Now, game one of this series, the Lakers did wind up losing. And it's very interesting to see because LeBron James, for those of you that watched the game closely, almost had a duplicate game of what he did against Portland in game one. And what I mean by that is that he scored around 20 points. He still had a great game. But for some reason, he opted into passing a lot. And for some reason, as a viewer, it doesn't make much sense because the Lakers have notoriously been known throughout the season for not having that many options to go to, not that many trustworthy options. If you're LeBron James, who do you trust on this team to shoot the ball besides Anthony Davis? I can't even say with full confidence that there may be 100% trust in Kyle Kuzma. And that's the number three option on this team right now. Rajon Rondo has not been good. Danny Green has been absolutely atrocious. KCP, Contavious Caldwell-Pope has not been good. Markeith Morris, I believe I believe it's Markeith Morris. I could be mistaken again. I always, always mix up the brothers. Always mix up the brothers. No, it is Markeith Morris for the L.A. Lakers. Thinking of Marcus Morris for the L.A. Clippers. But Markeith Morris has not been great either. But my point is he had that type of game, which I don't know why. And that's why the Houston Rockets winded up winning. He needs to be that dominant force offensively and defensively. They can't be that passer for this L.A. Lakers team if they want to move far, and which it seems like they will be probably going up 3-1 in the series tonight. Let's go back to game two. The Lakers win this game 117-109. to 109. AD had 34 points and 10 rebounds. LeBron had 28 points, 11 rebounds, 9 assists, 4 steals, and 2 blocks. LeBron James, that's the type of game that you need to have. Sadly, at this point in your career, that's the type of game you need to have. You need to be effective on all cylinders because the rest of your team just isn't able to do so. 
shooting the ball efficiently with 28, getting 11 rebounds, still being an effective passer, excellent defender, four steals, and two blocks, and yet only winning this game by eight points. But that's what he needed to do to win this game. Morris had 16. Uh, Morris had 16 off the bench. And then Harden, we're moving over to the Rockets now. Harden had 27 points. Gordon had 24. Tucker had 18 and 11. Covington had 17 points. And Russell Westbrook shot horribly in this game. 4 of 15 from the field and 1 of 7 from 3 finished off with 10 points. Move on to game 3. The Lakers win this game 112 to 102. LeBron had 26 points, 7 rebounds, 5 assists, 1 steal, and 4 blocks. And yet only won by 10 points. That's what I'm talking about. He has to have this type of effective, dominant performance in order for the L.A. Lakers to put a W in the win column, along with Anthony Davis as well. Anthony Davis had 26 points, 15 rebounds, 6 assists, and 1 steal. Rajon Rondo came up huge for them, huge for them off the bench. Rondo had 21 points off the bench. Going to the Rockets now. Harden dropped 33, 9 rebounds, and 9 assists. Russell Westbrook had 30 points, 8 rebounds, 6 assists, 2 steals, and 1 block. And Jeff Green also had 16 points off the bench for them. And like I said before, Game 4 is now in progress, in which the Lakers do lead by 20 points with the remaining few minutes left in the third quarter. But one positive that I will say about this Rockets team, in which not many people are giving credit to, is that James Harden throughout this bubble, playoff, whatever you want to call it scenario, for the first time in his career, as far as I'm concerned, has been efficient in almost every single game, excluding Game Seven of the OKC uh, of the OKC game. He shot; he did not shoot well in that game. OKC did wind up. I mean, the Rockets did wind up coming out with the win, but that was the only game in which he didn't shoot efficiently. But the rest of these games, he's been shooting really efficiently, and that's what they'll need him to continue to do, as they may be behind now, three-one, on the cusp of going home. Now switching on to another series, the L.A. Clippers versus the Denver Nuggets. The L.A. Clippers also lead 3-1. to one. Game 1 in this series, the Clippers win 120-97. to 97. Kawhi finished with 29 points. Paul George had 19 points and 7 rebounds. Morris had 18 points and 5 rebounds. Paul George has not, has not looked great. He has not looked great, even though the... Even though the Lakers, even though the Clippers wound up winning this game by 23 points, Paul George has really not found himself yet. Paul George is one of the best 3 and D players in all of basketball. One of the best forwards in all of basketball, no doubt in my mind. A top 10 player, no doubt. That's why Kawhi Leonard last summer said that the only way I'm being signing with the Clippers is if I get Paul George because he knows how effective a Paul George type player can be. But he hasn't been that. In the, he has not been that in the bubble. Switching over to Denver in this game, Jokic had 15 points, and Jamal Murray struggled with 12 points, 5 of 15 shooting, and 2 of 8 from 3. Switching, switching gears into game two, Denver came out with a victory in this game, 110 to 101. Murray had 27 points. Jokic had 26 points, 18 rebounds, 4 assists, and 3 blocks. Millsap. Paul Millsap and Gary Harris each had 13 points. Gary Harris is going to be huge for them in this series as they look to climb back. Gary Harris missed a majority of the playoffs and a majority of the, uh, of the bubble scrimmage games in which were played um, 
in early uh, in early August, late July. He missed a lot of those games, but he's going to be clutch for them as well because they need that offensive scoring from him and need him to come up big for them as they look to now come back from potentially another 3-1 deficit in which they had in the last series against the Utah Jazz. Now over to the Clippers. Kawhi Leonard finished off with 13 points, 10 rebounds, and 8 assists in this game. He shot very, very poorly from the field, and that's really the main falter for this game. Paul George finished off with 22 points again, even though finishing off with 22 points did struggle as well shooting-wise. Game three, the Clippers win 113 to 107. Paul George, this was almost in a sense his coming out party. This was one of his best efficient offensive scoring games, finished with 32 points. Kawhi Leonard had 23 points, 14 rebounds, and six assists. Over to Denver, Jokic had 32 points, 12 rebounds, and eight assists. Jamal Murray had 14 points, four rebounds, and nine assists. And Michael Porter Jr., who was drafted a couple years ago, coming off the bench for the Denver Nuggets has been really good. He's been really good. And he's going to be a player for Denver in the long run that's going to be potentially a big three, at least in my opinion, of Jokic, Jamal Murray, and Michael Porter Jr. That's going to be a nice big three for the future. He's not starting yet, but come next season he will be, um, as Paul Millsap, I believe, is entering the last year of his contract. So he will definitely be moved into that starting rotation, Michael Porter Jr. And now game four. Game four, the Clippers win 96-85. to 85. Kawhi had 30 points, 11 rebounds, 9 assists, 4 steals, and 2 blocks. The claw, the cyborg, this is what Kawhi Leonard is capable of. This is that championship playoff clutchness that Kawhi Leonard brings to the table in which he is the best two-way player in all of basketball, hands down, top three player in the NBA, in my personal opinion. Won an NBA championship last year, first season with Toronto, only season with Toronto. And is looking to do the same thing now in an LA Clippers uniform. Jokic had 32 points. Jokic, uh, William, excuse me. Williams and Harrell combined for 27 points off the bench as well. George Traver in this game did struggle. Paul George did struggle. Jokic had 26 points, 11 rebounds, and six assists. Jamal Murray had 18 points, four rebounds, and seven assists in this game. And Michael Porter Jr. had 15 points and six assists as well. The problem with this team this Denver Nuggets team is just their game plan what I don't get they have a series tied they have a series tied 1-1 going into game three Nikola Jokic is a guy who is not an efficient three-point shooter yet in game three and game four he's attempting the most threes in both of these games for the Denver Nuggets that's not a smart plan as far as I'm concerned. That's not how you win basketball games. Yes, he could shoot. There's no doubt in my mind he could shoot. Efficiently, in the paint as well, and does have a mid-range game. But why is he shooting threes for you? These are close, winnable games. And you're having a guy that you know that can't shoot well from beyond the arc, and you're having him take about seven, eight three-pointers. They need to change this coaching strategy up if, if they want to compete or at least not lose in five games in which they do play tomorrow night at 6.30. But at least in my personal opinion, Denver did it once and surprised me, coming back from 3-1 against the Utah Jazz. They will not be doing so against this L.A. Clippers team. They're a well-established team with a group of fantastic players. 
Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Patrick Beverly, Marcus Morris, Zubach, Lou Williams, and Montrezl Harrell. A nice shooting option in Landry Schmidt. This team is not losing a 3-1 lead. Now switching gears into the Eastern Conference. The number one Milwaukee Bucks get absolutely taken over by the Miami Heat. The Miami Heat finish off the series in five games, win the series 4-1. to one. Let's go into game two. This is really when the tables had turned. From a big fan of the Miami Heat and just a fan of basketball as well, a viewer of basketball as well, this is when the tables had turned. In a crushing defeat. The Heat pull out the victory 116 to 114. And I say crushing the feet because there was a controversial call, literally with seconds left on the clock. Jimmy Butler shooting a three in which he was not going to make, as he is a very, very poor three point shooter. Giannis Antetokounmpo fouls him, sends Jimmy to the line with no time remaining. Jimmy makes both the free throws game over. The Heat had seven players scoring double digits in a playoff game for the first time in their franchise's history. Juan Dragic finished off with 23 points. Young Tyler Hero, the rookie for the Miami Heat, had 17 points off the bench. This was Giannis's best game throughout this entire series. Finished off with 29 points and 14 rebounds. He shot 10 of 18 from the field and I believe 9 of 13 from the free throw line. Middleton also finished off with 23 points. Game three, the Heat win this game 115 to 100. The Heat outscored the Bucks 40 to 13 in the fourth quarter. Jimmy outscored the Bu- Jimmy Butler himself in the fourth quarter outscored the Bucks 17 to 13. Jimmy had 30 points. Bam Adebayo finished off with 20 points and 16 rebounds. Giannis had 21 points, 16 rebounds, and nine assists. Yet shot 0 of 7 from the three-point line. Brook Lopez had 22 points. And Middleton and Lopez and Middleton and Bledsoe throughout the series play poor. Game four, the Bucks win an OT. They win 118 to 115. Giannis rolls his ankle early. He did play 11 minutes, however, and scored 19 points. Middleton had a clutch three and OT to seal the deal. He finished off with 36 points, shot 12 of eight, 12 of 28 from the field, so still not efficient. Bledsoe had 14 points and 10 rebounds, shot 0 of 6 from the three-point line. Drogic played really poor with 17 points, 1 of 9 from the three-point line. Crowder and Duncan Robinson, however, flourished in this game. Each shot 6 of 12 from the three-point line, which is fantastic, unbelievable. Combined 36 points just in three-pointers from two players. And then Bam Adebayo had 26 points and 12 rebounds and 8 assists in this game. And then game five, what would be the final game of the series? Uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, like I just said, rolled his ankle in game four, did not play in game five. The Heat won this game 103 to 94. Drogic had 17 points. Butler had 17 points, 10 rebounds, and, eight assi- and six assists. Shot eight of eight from the free throw line. Hero came up huge off the bench with 14 points, eight rebounds, and six assists. Middleton led the team for the Bucks with 23 points. Shot 8 of 25, really poor, and 2 of 9 from the three-point line. Lopez had 15 and 14, and <clears throat> excuse me. And Dante DiVincenzo, who Milwaukee Bucks fans, 
viewers of basketball have been looking all over for this guy. When is he going to step up? Mike Budenholzer starting, started him in this lineup in game five. He finished off with 17 points. So a solid game for the young rookie. But just an overall viewing of this series. Eric Bledsoe was horrible. He's a defensive point guard. He's not an elite scorer. He's not an efficient scorer. And that's where the Bucs really faltered. Now there's rumors looming around him in which he could potentially be traded in the offseason. It's been reported that Mike Budenholzer, his job is safe. But Eric Bledsoe could be traded. A name that's been constantly been brought up is Chris Paul. Why Chris Paul? Because he's a fantastic defender at the age of 35, 36 years old. And yet still scores the ball efficiently. Can give you 20 plus points a night. Something that Eric Bledsoe has not been doing. And can't do. But let me break down this game. This series as a whole. The Milwaukee Bucks should be embarrassed. If I'm being brutally honest. They should be embarrassed. This was the only team throughout the season. Got to remember, the Bucks finished off with the number one seed. This was the only team throughout the season who gave them any trouble. Who gave them any trouble. And yet, for some reason, the Bucks had absolutely no game plan, it looked like, to stop the Miami Heat. They have, who, in my personal opinion, is going to be back-to-back MVP in Giannis. And I don't want to hear anything about, oh, well, Giannis only played 11 minutes in game four and didn't play at all in game five. They went went 0-3 with him in those first three games. And he did not shoot the ball well. In fact, he shot the ball horribly. In one of those games, he shot 0-7 from the three-point line. Question that. Why is Giannis Antetokounmpo even taking seven three-pointers in an NBA playoff game? That's a question for head coach Mike Budenholzer. We're back on track. Giannis Antetokounmpo, probable MVP of this year, wins defensive player of the year. The Bucs have three players make defensive team. Eric Bledsoe, Brooke Lopez made second team, Giannis first team. Arguably have the coach of the year, even though it went to Nick Nurse this year. Well-deserved for him as well. And yet this team has no answers. It seemed like the Miami Heat had an answer for every single which way. Every single thing in which the Bucs threw out of them, they had an answer. The Bucs were an awful team in this series. How are you going to be named the defensive player of the year, let alone arguably maybe the defensive team of the year in which they played this year, and you get outscored 40-13 to 13 in a must-win game three in the fourth quarter? 40 to 13. Jimmy Butler single handedly outscored you 17 to 13 in the fourth quarter. How does that happen? How does that happen, Mike Budenholzer? How does that happen? You are one of the best coaches that the NBA has, and yet no game plan, it seems like. Couldn't stop the threes. You knew Bam Adebayo was going to attack you in the paint, consistent rebound, a consistent score, yet not even a true center. And still out re- still out rebounded the Milwaukee Bucks in almost every single one of these games. Chris Middleton got a max contract last year. 
three-point sniper. Just had nothing in the tank when it came to the three-point line. They were missing open shots. Missing open shots. Let alone Chris Middleton, this entire team. George Hill was missing shots. Dante DiVincenzo was missing open threes. Kyle Korver was missing open threes. A lot of these guys are missing open shots. And the one thing that really was alarming to me in this series was Jimmy Butler and him single-handedly with his performance, let alone shooting, but I'm talking about from the free-throw line. Jimmy Butler got to the free-throw line, attempted a whopping, a whopping 54 free-throws, 54 free-throws in five games. How does that happen? You're not going to call that the defensive team of the year. Sending a guy single-handedly, letting him shoot 54 free throws. Knowing, knowing this is what I mean by game plan. Jimmy Butler is the most efficient free throw shooter on the Miami Heat. Shot 85% from the free throw line this year. In fact, most of his bubble performances, a lot of those points have come from the free throw line. He makes 46 out of the 54. 46 points in five games just in free throws from Jimmy Butler. This Bucs team has a lot of work to do. Because even with Giannis, even in the game in which he rolled his ankle in game four, which was an elimination game, even though the Bucs won, he played 11 minutes and had 19 points, and yet the Bucs were still losing when he went down. Somehow. They need to figure it out. They need to figure it out. I'm a Miami Heat fan. I'll openly admit that. And I said on this show, six, seven games, no doubt in my mind. This should have been a sweep. This should have been a sweep. It really should have been. And that's embarrassing. Because this is the number one team in all of basketball, as far as record goes. As a fantastic coach, as fantastic shooters and defensemen, defensive player of the year, Again, arguably defensive team of the year. And you almost get swept. They have a lot of work to do this offseason. And Giannis Antetokounmpo has personally a lot to think about. Is he going to be with this team long term? They're an older team that's cap struck by guys like Brooke Lopez, Eric Bledsoe, Chris Middleton, George Hill. And those four guys are a majority of the reason why the Bucs lost this series, especially the starters in Chris Middleton and Eric Bledsoe. So they got a lot of work to do this offseason. And let's round it out with the last Eastern Conference series. Toronto Raptors versus the Boston Celtics. This series is now tied 3-3. Toronto comes up huge last night, forcing a Game 7. Unbelievable series, definitely the best one of the playoff bubble so far. You know, people could argue the Rockets and Thunder. I think this is the best one by far. Boston jumped out to a 2 0 lead, but Toronto eventually came back and tied it 2 2. So let's transition to game four. Toronto wins, actually, game three. So game three. For those of you that watch, OG Anobi hits the game winner 
Kyle Lowry is standing out of bounds, passes over Taco Fall, seven foot six Taco Fall with his arms up. He's probably about nine, 10 feet tall. Tosses perfectly over Taco Fall's arms across the court to an open OG Anobi for the three. Hits the dagger. And Toronto wins the game 104-103. Lowry had 31 points. Fred Van Vliet, Van Vliet dropped 25 points. Tatum only had 15 points in this game. And he needs to shoot the ball personally more efficiently. He's that excellent of a player. And he just has not been playing that way consistently through this series. Or in the bubble as a whole. And Kemba Walker finished off with 19 points as well. Moving into game four, Toronto wins this game 100-93. to Pascal Siakam had 23 points and 11 rebounds. Kyle Lowry had 22 points and 11 rebounds. Ibaka had 17 points off the bench. Moving into Boston, Tatum had 24 and 10. Jalen Brown, another guy who faltered in this game. It was not good. Shot the, board, shot the ball very poorly. 4 of 18 from the field and 2 of 11 from the three-point line. And that's a major part of the reason why they lost this game. Game 5, Boston wins 111-89. to Boston just dominated. From tip-off to the end of the game, Boston just dominated. They led Toronto at halftime 62-35, to having a 27-point lead at halftime. Incredible. Six players for Boston had scored in double digits. Seven player, Multiple players played in this game for Boston, obviously, but only seven actually scored, and six out of those seven finished off with double digits. Can't happen. Jalen Brown had 27 points. Tatum had 18 points and 10 rebounds. Moving into Toronto, Kyle Lowry and Siakam each had 10 points. Fred Van Vliet finished with 18. And now into game six, which was last night, which was a double overtime thriller. Toronto wins this game 125 to 122. Kyle Lowry had 33 points. OG Anobi had 13 points and 13 rebounds. Norman Powell off the bench was the reason why they won this game. Tremendous. Played about 38 minutes, I believe. Had 23 points off the bench. For Boston, Jalen Brown in this game had 31 points and 16 rebounds. Marcus Smart had a triple-double with 23 points, and Jason Tatum had 29 points, 14 rebounds, and 9 assists. And now for those of you that are listening, you'll pick up on the fact that a name that I haven't really said often, or if at all, in this series, Pascal Siakam. Where has he been? And the answer is I don't know. I don't know. In this series, his highest scoring point game is 23 points. That's his only game in these last six games in which he's even reached 20 points. So for game seven tomorrow, starting at 9 p.m., who needs to step up the most for each team, Toronto or Boston, in order to come away with the victory? Well, for the Toronto Raptors, it's Pascal Siakam. He needs to step up huge. Kyle, Kyle Lowry has been fantastic. Sergi Bach has been great for them, consistent off the bench. Fred Van Vliet, although he's not shooting so efficiently, he is putting up numbers in the point column. OG Nobi has been great, up-and-coming star. Pascal Siakam needs to step up. That's who needs to step up for the Raptors. And like I said earlier, the Boston Celtics. Jason Tatum. You're the franchise. He's the guy. They have other stars. They have Kemba Walker, Jalen Brown, or making the big bucks as well. 
Uh, Gordon Hayward isn't even playing in this series. Some believe that might be the reason why this series is taking as long as it is. I, I personally believe that Gordon Hayward would have been a factor, but this series still could have gone six or seven games even with a Gordon Hayward. But back to Jason Tatum. He has been good. He has been good, there's no doubt, but he needs to be great in this Game 7 tomorrow. Boston wants to move to the Eastern Conference Finals to go up against the Miami Heat. So Pascal Siakam needs to step up. Jason Tatum needs to step up. Those are the leaders of that team, of their respective teams. And those are the people that have to have big games tomorrow. Those are the games that have those are the teams that have to have big games tomorrow. And we'll see what happens. Make sure you tune in at 9 o'clock tomorrow for Game 7. I'm planning on watching it. It's going to be a very, very exciting game. And that'll do it for this show, episode, segment, whatever you want to call it. Going over some NBA playoff basketball, going over some New York Yankees. I'm Kyle Russo. I hope you all enjoyed. Make sure to tune in next week, next Wednesday, for the original review and preview show in which we'll be discussing all things happening in sports, reviewing obviously week one of the football season. That'll be very exciting. Discussing some NBA playoffs, some NHL playoffs. By that point in time, we might already be in the Stanley Cup. That'll be exciting. By that point in time, might already be figured out the seating of baseball. going to be very exciting. And also make sure to tune into newly debuted, just had his premiere last week, uh, this past Tuesday, Gabe Flayton. Uh, with the North Pole, reviewing the NFC North, the Minnesota Vikings, the Chicago Bears, the Green Bay Packers, and the Detroit Lions. That's what Gabe is doing. He had a great show last last Tuesday, this past Tuesday. Make sure to tune in next week, next Tuesday as well. Uh, giving a shout-out to him as well. And the rest of you guys, Tom, James, look forward to talking with you guys on Wednesday for another edition of Review and Preview. And that'll do it for me, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you all for tuning in, and I hope all of you have a great night. Good night.